It's kind of a, a bit of a David and Goliath story. Amgen's the big pharma. Muradi's the, the smaller biotech trying to bring this, this therapy to the market. And another thing I'll be watching is Bristol-Myers Revlimid. They're going to be facing an, a growing number of generics over the course of the year. Generics eat away at pricing and market share. At this point, most people are assuming that Pfizer or Moderna's vaccines will be head and shoulders above the others, but we're starting to see a real demand plummet. From Fierce Biotech, Fierce MedTech, and Fierce Pharma, I'm Teresa Carey. This is The Top Line. Products that fight the COVID-19 pandemic dominated the biopharma landscape in 2021. Two of the top three sellers were the vaccines by Pfizer and Moderna. My colleagues Eric Seganowski and Kevin Dunleavy took a close look at the top 20 drugs by sales from last year. And it isn't surprising to see COVID products throughout. We'll hear more from them later. Today is Friday, June 3rd. This episode is brought to you by GoodRx. And just over one month into producing this podcast, we're ready to give you a peek behind the green curtain with some behind-the-scenes tape the team thought I tossed out. But we'll save that for later. In the meantime, stick with us. We've got all the biopharma and medtech industry news you need. Postpartum depression is one of the most common complications associated with pregnancy. Here to tell us about some fresh data on therapies to treat postpartum depression is Annalie Armstrong. In the past few years, depression research has been, well, depressing. There's been barely anything new, but now new treatments are getting some buzz. This week, Biogen and Sage revealed that their postpartum depression medicine, Zoranolone, improved symptoms of depression at day 15. The goal of the study was to improve symptoms quickly and sustainably, and they succeeded. Postpartum depression is an underdiagnosed and undertreated condition. One in eight women will experience it. The results of this study could mean Zoran alone could become an option for them. According to analysts from Mizuho, if the Sage and Biogen therapies approved, it could reach 125,000 women a year. And that could only grow as patients become more aware that there's a way to get help. The firm predicts sales of $200 million by 2030 and room for growth. Also in depression, Axom posted some much-needed positive data for a Phase 3 med. The biotech says they also saw a fast improvement and substantial antidepressant efficacy. GSK is fighting for a share of the pneumococcal vaccine market. Here to tell us how GSK is betting big is James Waldron. It may be a quiet period for biotech buyout deals, but no one has told GSK that. They just announced a second major deal in two months paying $2.1 billion upfront to buy Afinovax, a pneumococcal vaccine developer. GSK already has its pneumococcal vaccine Synflorix, but Pfizer's Prevnar products dominate the market. With this latest deal, GSK will have Afinovax's lead pneumococcal vaccine candidate, which could challenge Pfizer. Adding even more competition is Merck's shop Vaxnuvans, which was approved last year. In a study in 2021, Afinovax generated higher immune responses to certain serotypes than the immune response achieved by Pfizer's shot Prevnar 13. Pfizer has since brought a newer and even more effective vaccine, Prevnar 20, to market. But GSK will be betting that acquiring Afinovax's antigen platform will give it a long-term chance 
to be a serious player in the pneumococcal space. Pfizer is planning to sell its stake in its GSK consumer health business. Here's Angus Liu to tell us more about the demerger. Pfizer will pocket another large pile of cash. The big pharma has decided to exit its stake in Halio, a GSK consumer health joint venture formed in 2019. As of April the 3rd, Pfizer's stake in Helio was valued at $15.8 billion. Helion is expected to start trading on the London Stock Exchange as a standalone company on July the 18th. Pfizer said it will pull out in a disciplined manner, so it wouldn't cause any major turbulence to Helion's stock. Pfizer is leaving consumer health to focus on innovative medicines and vaccines, and the money from the Helion stake sale could give it more M&A firepower to beef up its offerings. SVB Securities analysts in December projected that Pfizer could have $175 billion in m and firepower by the end of 2022. Muscular atrophy, the wasting away of muscle tissue, affects even the tiniest. But there's some hope. The FDA just approved an at-home treatment for babies with the condition. Here's Kevin Dunleavy. We're not sure why the FDA loves to announce drug approvals around holiday weekends. Last year, they signed off on four new drugs around Memorial Day weekend. And they were at it again this Memorial Day, bookending the weekend with three new approvals. One of the approvals was for Roche's Evristi. The pill treats spinal muscular atrophy, a condition which can be fatal if not detected and treated early. Evristi already was approved for people older than two months, but now can be given to newborns. This is important because Evristi can compete with two other blockbuster drugs that treat the disorder and are approved for people of all ages. Those drugs are Biogen's Spinraza and Novartis's Zolgensma. But compared to those two drugs, Evristi is cheaper and can be administered at home. That's a big difference from Spinraza, which is administered through spinal injection, and Zolgensma, which is notorious for being the most expensive drug in history, at $2.1 million a pop. Granted, it's a one-and-done gene therapy. The second approval was for Novartis's cell therapy, Camraya. The FDA will now allow its use against follicular lymphoma after two other treatments have failed. Camraya is a CAR-T drug, and those are generally used as a last resort after other drugs have failed. And lastly, also gaining a label expansion was Bristol-Myers Squibb's blockbuster op Devo, which now can be used to treat a type of cancer that forms in the lining of the esophagus. Doctors can administer it in combination with chemotherapy or with other specified drugs. Bristol-Myers Squibb is once again pulling out the cash for Imatics, a German immunotherapy biotech. Here to tell us about the $4.2 billion deal is Annalie Armstrong. Bristol-Myers Squibb is clearly a big fan of Imatics because it's dishing out millions more in another revision to their partnership. In 2019, the small German drug discovery biotech that specializes in immunotherapy signed a deal with Celgene, which eventually folded into BMS. Now, the duo has tripled down on that deal. They are adding $60 million up front and $700 million in biobucks down the line to work on two programs and possibly more. But that's not all. The companies are also revising that original agreement to add another target for $20 million. This all comes a few months after BMS added another layer to the original deal. 
bear with me on these numbers. That additional deal is worth $150 million up front and $770 million down the line in milestones. So that brings the total value of the research collaboration to a whopping $4.2 billion in biobucks, which left us with the question, why not just buy the whole company? Trust us, we asked BMS. Their response? Full of the usual suspect buzzwords to keep shareholders happy. Here's what they wrote. The existing collaboration agreement provides significant potential opportunities for all parties involved. In 2021, COVID-19 pandemic-fighting drugs were among the top sellers in biopharma. In fact, vaccines by Pfizer and Moderna are listed among the top three of Fierce Pharma's special report on the world's top 20 drugs by sales. And COVID treatments from Regeneron, Roche, and Gilead were also in the top 20. After a break, Eric Saganowski and Kevin Dunleavy will give us more insight into that special report. For people like you who work in healthcare every day, it feels good to help others find the best care at the best price possible. But first, you need a better, more efficient way to identify and connect with appropriate patients and providers. And that's how GoodRx can help you. GoodRx provides a trusted platform to connect with highly qualified patients and providers during pivotal moments in their healthcare journeys. GoodRx has a range of solutions to help you build awareness, improve access, and remove barriers to adherence. Learn more about the benefits of partnering with GoodRx at www.goodrx.com solutions. Hey, Kevin. Today we're talking about our special report about the top 20 drugs by worldwide sales in 2021. Last year, we saw COVID products play a huge role. Um, that wasn't a surprise to anybody. So let's talk about some of the details. Um, to start the report, we saw two of the three top sellers being mRNA vaccines. Can you talk about those? Sure. Good to be with you, Eric. Uh, yeah, the COVID products really kind of crashed the party in the 2021. Humira had been uh, nine years running the world's number one uh, selling drug, but Pfizer and BioNTech's vaccine set a record for single-year sales at $36.8 billion, and they easily topped Humira, which came in at $20.7 billion. And then there was Moderna, of course. Their uh, vaccine spike facts came in third place at $17.7 billion. And I think the amazing thing for, for me for Moderna was 807 million shots that they produced. Kind of an amazing feat considering where they started from a manufacturing standpoint. Um, <clears throat> Tetruda, uh, Merck's cancer drug, they came in fourth, but uh, they were second the year before. Uh, they had a 4.2 billion increase or 4.2 billion in sales in 2020 and 17.7 billion in 2021. So they had a huge increase, but dropped from number two to number four because of the vaccines, uh, you know, being so dominant. Um, there were two other COVID products, Regeneron's antibodies that came in at number 13 at, with 7.5 billion and Gilead's Veclary antiviral which came in at number 19 with 5.6 billion. And the noteworthy thing to me with both of those is that at some point in 2021, both were, you know, out of vogue as treatments. There was a time when Lily's antibodies were the favorite treatment early in the year and uh, Veclary never was recommended by the World Health Organization. So those two overcame a lot to, uh, to make this list. 
Yeah, and they've they've kind of completed the the circle now because they're out of vogue again. Um, Gilead's only expecting two billion for Viclary this year, and Regeneron's drug is not being used right now. So it just shows how this this pandemic has affected these companies' financials so much. And another thing I'll say is that it's really interesting for me having covered all these headlines day in and day out to see where these products all ended up in the rankings. Some other things I saw in the rankings were some new drugs, not COVID-related products that jumped into the top 20. Uh, Regeneron and Sanofi's Dupixent was the first. Um, J&J's Darzalex was one, and Vertex's Trigaftra was the third. They all posted huge sales increases, uh, double digits. They were in the 40s or 50% growth range. And it shows that these companies are really starting to flex their marketing muscle coming out of the pandemic. We'll for sure see more of that ahead. Yeah, Eric, there were uh, seven in all, which is unusual because it's usually just three or four that come off the list. Uh, but two of the drugs were not a surprise at all. Roach's Rituxan and Johnson & Johnson's Remicade. Both of those are eroding a lot because of generic competition and both had 33% at least uh, drop in sales in 2021. And there's four other drugs that fell off the list just because of stagnant sales. Uh, Pfizer's Prevnar family of vaccines. And that's probably due to pandemic effects in 2021 when a lot of people didn't take vaccines, uh, you know, that, that were not COVID related. Um, Roach's Ocrevus, Pfizer and Estellus Zatandi, and Amgen's Nextandi. Nextandi, and Amgen's Enbrel, um, fall into that category, stagnant sales and fell off the list. Uh, there was one drug that fell off the list, even though its sales went way up. Uh, AstraZeneca's Tegresa went from 4.3 billion to 5 billion. And it was just such a competitive year <clears throat> that, uh, that they dropped off. Uh, the number 20 drug in 19, in 2020, for example, was Remicade with 4.2 billion to make the list in 2021, uh, you had to make 5.4 billion. That was, uh, number 20 was Ibrant's. So what do you expect to see Eric in 2022? What changes do you anticipate on next year's list? We talked about how some of the COVID drugs went into Vogue and then fell out of Vogue. So that's going to happen again. Um, Regeneron's antibodies aren't being used right now because they don't, because they're not effective against Omicron mm -hmm. and Gilead's Veclary, the company only projects 2 billion. So that won't cut it. Um, on the flip side, we know Pfizer and Merck's antivirals, their oral antivirals are being used a lot and they're generating a lot of sales. So we'll probably see those this year or in this, in the next version of the report. And another thing I'll be watching is Bristol-Myers Revlimid. They just lost exclusivity for this drug in March, so they're going to be facing an, a growing number of generics over the course of the year. As we know, generics eat away at pricing and market share, so they're going to lose sales this year. But they might not lose enough to fall out of the top 10. We'll have to see. And you, you've been observing some things near the top of the rankings, so what did you see there? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because I think at this point, most people are assuming that. Uh, that Pfizer or Moderna's vaccines will be, uh, you know, head and shoulders above the others, but we're starting to see a real demand plummet, uh, for vaccines. So it's hard to know what they're, how they're going to come in there. I think, uh, SVB Lyric uh, originally had projections of 30 billion for Pfizer and 22 billion for Moderna, but, uh, 
I think that's kind of up in the air right now. And the vaccines actually could be superseded by Paxlovid, Pfizer's antiviral pill. Um, the projection for that is $25 billion, according to SVB Larry. So, uh, so they could take over. And then there's the non-COVID drugs, the stalwarts, Humira, came in at $20.7 billion last year and probably in their last year of exclusivity increase that. Um, and then Keytruda, of course, if they had an increase like they did last year, uh, they'll be north of 20 billion as well. So very competitive at the top with, uh, with any of those being able, you know, likely to finish anywhere from one to five. The biggest cancer fighting conference of the year will be held in person in Chicago. And it starts today. Here's Annalie Armstrong and Angus Liu to tell us what we can expect. This month, the American Society of Clinical Oncology is going to be meeting. It is the largest oncology conference of the year, I believe, although there's been some other ones that have sprouted up um, around the year that maybe um, put that record to the test. Um, But the industry is very excited about this. It's where the biggest companies showcase data on their upcoming cancer therapies, Obviously, the past two years have been virtual, so this is our return to in-person meetings, which there's a lot of excitement that people actually get to go to a conference in Chicago. So our journalists have been really busy covering the abstracts that are being released, previewing the data, and talking to experts in oncology. Um, So I guess Angus and I are going to talk about what we're seeing so far and maybe some expectations to come. Yeah, thank you, Annalie. Um, So... For Fierce Father's side, actually, this ASCO is pretty exciting with several important late-breaking abstracts for us. Uh, So our focus is definitely going to be on three breast cancer readouts, uh, thereby uh, Gilead's Trudelvi, Pfizer's Ibrans. These two are both in uh, HR-positive, HER2-inactive disease. And we also have AstraZeneca and Dietrich's in HER2, which is for going to be for an entirely new area called how to know breast cancer. Uh, so I, I talked to Dibu, uh, Tripathy at, uh, Dr. Dibu Tripathy at MEMD Anderson a few days ago. We talked about some of the expectations of the data. So obviously, uh, Trudelvi uh, is interesting because uh, this is a cornerstone of Gilead's oncology portfolio. It's been approved in triple-negative breast cancer, and now Gilead wants to see if it works in HR-positive HER2-inactive disease as well. Uh, so PBS headline announcement in March made it sound like Trodelvi's tumor progression improvement over chemotherapy was, was statistically uh, significant, but not exactly clinically meaningful. So it'd be interesting to see what the actual data looks like there. And then for Pfizer's Ibrus, the story is about the other two uh, CDK46 inhibitors uh, have already had overall survival wins in their clinical trials, but just not hybrids. So now finally, hybrids will report survival data from this trial that had started ages ago. So if the data turn out negative, it may cause some harm to hybrids market share, uh, although it may still remain the leader because it's uh, the first to market. Uh, the lastly, in HER2, this is a uh, HER2 negative, uh, this is HER2 targeted antibody tr- uh, conjugate, uh, but now AstraZeneca and Dietrich, thank you, are saying 
This drug could potentially work in a group of patients who have been labeled as HER2 negative disease. Uh, these patients have very low HER2 expression. So we'll see if in, in HER2 could open up an entire new area of breast cancer treatment called HER2 low uh, breast cancer. Uh, so what about you, Annalie? Uh, what's interesting on the first biotech side? Yeah, so I think on the biotech side where you're seeing a real specific focus on breast cancer when it comes to the pharma side, we're seeing a lot of uh, interesting data come out on some really specific cancers, mutations that haven't been tackled before. We're seeing uh, a lot of data on really late line therapy uh, as some of the big pharmas try to move some of their hopefuls up in line, um, in treatment line. So I think one of the bigger stories that broke actually on Friday uh, was Marathi's KRAS inhibitor data. Uh, the biotech has been in a heated battle with Amgen for their dueling lung cancer therapies that go after cancers that have this particular KRAS mutation. So Amgen's already on the market. They have a therapy called Lumacras, but Marathi's therapy has had a lot of promise in the clinic. So they've kind of been in this neck and neck battle, even though Amgen has already technically crossed the finish line. A lot of experts have said that if Marathi can put up the data and then get the approval, which is, uh, there's a decision slated, I believe, for December of this year, that, you know, once they're on the market, they could have a really good hope of catching up to Amgen. It's kind of a, a bit of a David and Goliath story. Amgen's the big pharma. They have the, you know, the marketing power and, and the research power to put this therapy up. And Marathi's the, the smaller biotech trying to bring this, this therapy to the market. So it's been a really interesting story. Um, so at ASCO, Marathi actually revealed some data in an abstract that showed they had slightly stronger efficacy for their therapy, which is called adagrasib, compared to Lumacras. So Marathi's therapy had a 43% objective response rate compared to 37% for Amgen's therapy, which is a nice improvement. Of course, if, if you have this type of cancer, any sort of improvement on some of those measures is fantastic. But where the therapies differ in the data that Marathi revealed, is in how long this effect lasts. So Marathi clocked a duration of response at 8.5 months, and that compares to Amgen's 11.1 months for duration of response. And actually, you know, funnily enough, Amgen revealed that last year at ASCO. So, you know, a year later, we're seeing Marathi's offering here, and it unfortunately looks like Amgen has taken the win on this round. So It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Again, Marathi is really eagerly waiting this decision from the FDA on, on what happens with Adagrasib. And um, I think it's one of the, the most hotly contested biotech versus pharma battles that we've got going on, on that we're tracking on uh, Fierce Biotech. Well, it sounds interesting. So uh, beyond the Marathi versus Amgen uh, battle in KRAS, is there anything else that's interesting uh, from Fierce Biotech, sir? Yeah, I think that bispecifics are having a really big year. Uh, Johnson & Johnson's Janssen Pharmaceutical Unit has some multiple myeloma data that they're rolling out. Um, so that, was, that came out on Thursday. Janssen has a pair of therapies called teclistimab and telketimab, both of which are being tested in multiple myeloma. So they had some data that they previewed. The Teclistimab data was a little bit more advanced. That one has already been submitted to the FDA, so they're kind of doing a victory lap on that one. And telkinumab, we got a nice phase one preview. So that was interesting. Genentech also had some bispecific data. So those are kind of the big buzz in terms of earlier 
uh, therapies that are in development. Interesting. Uh, first of all, we'll also be covering the uh, some Improvica data from Janssen as well. They have uh, this frontline uh, phase three data in this rare uh, blood cancer type of mental cell lymphoma. Uh, so first of all, we'll also be covering some uh, blood cancer data from Janssen as well. So I guess what's to come is uh, in a couple days, we're going to have what's called the late breaker abstracts coming out. So we're going to have another round of uh, you know, new studies, new data and information to reveal. So you'll have to keep an eye out for that. We are sending somebody in person this year, which is very exciting. So we're going to have someone on the ground who can talk to people and, and you know, just touch base with some of the pharmas and biotech who are making a splash in oncology right now. Are you getting any background noise on my side? Okay. Why am I nervous? <laughs> Oh, it's just ready to start. Okay. Three, two, one. We've been doing this podcast for just over a month now, and I may be biased, but it already sounds like our journalists have been at it for years. But let's be real, they're still human. And in this pandemic world, we're producing this in at-home recording studios and makeshift sound booths, which means mistakes can happen. Usually those mistakes are left on the cutting room floor, but those hiccups are the buzz around the newsroom this week, so let's have a listen. I practiced it that way, and then that part sounded the most robotic once we started recording. Yeah, I'm hiding under a blanket. My dishwasher's on. My washing machine is on. There's nowhere. Maybe I need to try the car next. I'm, I'm going to try to make it sound a little more, like, natural this time. Like a Muppet, like Kermit the Frog. I hear some rustling, but I, well, I can I'll tell. Stop moving and then. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm hiding under a blanket now. Yeah, I noticed how much smarter you made us sound on the podcast than we did in real life. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to need that again today. My brain it's, is not working the best right now. His pay package was actually dead. Hold on, dog. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I can't hold, seem to hold a thought in my head for very long. But it doesn't really bode well. But anyway, we'll give it a try. Okay. I'm just going to pause there. My cat just walked into the room, so give me a second. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. He's normally not loud. I have a, I run a zoo here, apparently. So last week, Roche's... Oh my God, my dog started barking. <laughs> barking. I started talking. That's terrible timing. Okay, should I just start with the answer, or do you want to run the question again? I might have to go murder my dog. Okay, whenever you're ready. I will get you a snack in three minutes. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go ahead so you can get get to your snack. Um, oh, I didn't know you could hear that. I put mute on. <laughs> I'm no, seriously. I, I've, I've been there. My whole family has COVID right now. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Today is, feels like chaos to me. <laughs> Are there any other big farmers that you are that you might be expecting to make a similar type? Okay, let me go. <laughs> no worries, no worries. My brain is melting. That's it for The Top Line. I'm senior producer Teresa Carey. Our sound engineer is Caleb Hodgson. You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at FiercePharma.com. Look for podcasts. Don't forget to follow The Top Line on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you listen. And that's The Bottom Line from The Top Line. <laughs>